0: One of the great things about Colossians, as we've talked about in the past several months, is that Paul really gets down to the, to, the, to the very nitty-gritty, right down to where we all live. I mean, one of the themes of Colossians we've seen over and over is Jesus is enough. You know, there are people in the church in that were that were sort of legalistic, and they always wanted to add a bunch of rules to things. In fact, many of us who've grown up in church really believe that we have to be good in order for God to accept us. We have to be good in order for God to love us. And the better we are, the more He loves us. And it's all about keeping rules. The only problem with that is everything in the New Testament says just the opposite. (laughs) In other words, The more Jesus spent time talking to the Pharisees and those folks in the New Testament, they were all about keeping rules. And Jesus was saying, that's not how it works. You can't keep enough rules to be good. That's why he came. That's the gospel is that he came to die on, on our place to receive the punishment of God for our sin. He was good, so you don't have to be. Now, that doesn't mean we end up being lousy, lying, terrible sinners. It's just the opposite. Because he's good, and because he was good enough for us, we love him, and that motivates us to want to be like him. And that's one of the themes of Colossians. Also, there are those who wanted to add some philosophy to it, add some, some life history to it. In other words, we, we, need, we need the gospel, but we also need these other things. And, and uh, No, you don't. You don't need anything else other than Christ and the gospel. It's what Paul's trying to bring home to these Colossians. And then he talks about if if you have Christ alone and and you trust for him in faith and and have your faith in him alone and, and you commit your life to him alone and you love him alone and you realize how much, as we sang this morning, how much we owe to him and we are nothing without him and we can't do anything without him, then that changes the way as a husband, you relate to your wife. It changes the way as a wife, you relate to your husband. It changes the way children relate to one another. It changes the way employers and employees and servants and masters. It changes everything about our life. Again, it's not that we try to be good in order for God to love us, but because God loves us and he sent his son to die for us and did that for us, which we couldn't do for ourselves, we're overwhelmed by his love and his compassion. We're drawn to him by that. We desire to be like him. And so Paul is really getting down now to what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to live out this life in the fullness of Christ. And we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. We finished up last time talking about masters and slaves. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Father, as we really come once again to this wonderful book and even this glorious verse, may we not just pass over it and glance over it, Don't let it just go in one ear and literally out the other. What do you want us to learn from these words this morning? How to apply them to our life so that it changes the way we think about you, the way we think about one another, and the way we live. Lord, forgive us this morning of all the sin in our life, those things that we've done that we shouldn't. And likewise, Lord, all those things we should have done and we didn't even attempt. Repent, Lord, we do, of those things in our heart and our life, those thoughts, those deeds, those actions, those desires that are not holy and not godly and not focused on you. We're so inclined, Lord, to look at ourselves and desire what we want and focus on our own love and our own satisfaction and our own contentment, or may we find our joy in you. So we confess that we are in need of you this morning and ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Let's talk for just a real brief second about prayer. Look, I've grown up in church all of my life. I don't remember the first time I was ever in church. I don't remember the first time I ever heard my parents pray. Prayer was just something I grew up with. It may not be true where you live and in your background, but it was in mine. But those of us who are here and we're at a Baptist church, and most of us in this room this morning have professed faith in Jesus Christ, have been baptized, are members of this church. If you're here this morning and you're not, and we're grateful for that, that you're here. Hopefully, the God will continue to speak to your heart and your mind and And uh, we'll draw you to himself. That's our prayer this morning. But for those of us who are here and are his children, we look at prayer, and and if, if, if we'll really be serious about it, there are times I think most of us try to figure out, well, why do we pray in the first place? Some of you in this room have a tendency to really lean into the sovereignty of God in all things, all right? You really understand God has a plan and a purpose and before the foundation of the world he knew who you were he knew your name he knew you when you were in your mother's womb he has the numbers of hairs on your head determined he knows the number of days you'll be here determined it's all determined and and that is true the scripture teaches that God knows all he's not God's not in heaven yet uncertain what the future for you or anything else is right I think we most of us hopefully all of us would agree that we serve a sovereign God who is in control of everything he's not just watching it happen and not sure what's going to happen tomorrow And so some of us really lean into God's sovereignty. We understand he's sovereign in all things. Hopefully we all do, but some of us really lean into that. Others of us really lean into the idea that the scripture teaches that we're to pray without ceasing and let God know what our requests are and have our requests made known to him. As the apostle says in in Philippians chapter 4, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him for his answers. As James says, if there's sick, those among you, have people come around and pray for those sick among you. Have you ever wondered how those two things coexist? What's the deal with God's sovereignty, who has it all laid out, it all planned out, and knows everything before the foundation of the earth? So why am I even supposed to pray? Can I change God's mind? Is God up there just saying, well, if I get 10 prayers on this, I'll do it. If I get 20, I'll do it. If I get five, I'm not going to do it. Is that how it works? Frankly, I don't really know. But I do know that the Bible teaches both of these things. It teaches that God is sovereign, that things he understands and he knows, he has all foreknowledge... uh, He's not surprised by any things. All things work together for good, the Apostle Paul says, to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean all things are good, but we've talked about that many times. All things can sanctify you and edify you and draw you closer to him and have you depend more upon him. At the same time, we are told constantly from Genesis to Revelation to pray. Pray. And so, some folks who lean into the sovereignty of God go, Well, I don't, why should I even pray about that? It's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's like the Calvinist who fell down the chair, fell down the stairs, and said, Well, I'm glad that's over with. You know, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I can't do anything about it. So, some people say, like, well, Why really even pray? It's not going to change anything. In other words, it's all, it's all set in place anyway. I mean, and so, yet, time after time after time in the scripture, We're told to pray, including here. And it's not just, Paul's not just telling us to waste our time. He's not just telling us to go through some ritual. This is important to him. How many times in the letters that Paul sends to the churches does he plead with them, not for money or for his freedom or for his physical uh, 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 ease of comfort, but he pleads with them to pray for him. He'd be bold in his witness and bold in his testimony and wise. And here again he tells these believers in Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer. Well, the truth of the matter is this, obviously, hopefully it's obvious. Prayer has a lot more to do about changing our heart toward God than changing God's mind about anything. In prayer, we get to understand why these things are happening. We get to get a glimpse of God's sovereignty. And and yet we do know that God desires his people to pray. If you think I'm going to be able to solve this total dilemma for you in the next 8 or 12 minutes, you're probably wrong. It's not really a dilemma. It's just a mystery. I can't solve the mystery of the Trinity, all right, in, in, in this side of heaven, there are many things I can't solve, but it doesn't mean they're not true. It doesn't mean we just go over on the other side of God's sovereignty and say, well, I'm not going to pray for the sick. I'm not going to pray for these things because it's already decided, because God tells us to do it. When, when, and in, in the, <laughs> after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, he spoke to the disciples. He ascended into heaven. And then where do Peter and John go in the morning? They go to the temple to do what? To pray. And we see Paul saying that I am praying for you all day and night, morning and evening without ceasing. And would Paul do that if he didn't think there was some impact on his, for, for, for praying? Of course not. I can live with the reality that both things in God's kingdom are true. The fact that I pray and plead for my loved ones to be healed, the fact that I pray and plead for safety on my children does not mean I do not believe in God's sovereignty. So Paul tells us to pray, continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't give up. Steadfastly in prayer. Let's look at a couple of things. Let's look. You have your Bibles, and I hope you do. I want you to go... To Luke eighteen, because this is Jesus who's talking about prayer. And of course, Jesus gave us the model prayer and talked a lot about prayer. Jesus, the night of the of the, his arrest, went to the garden and prayed, and prayed so intently he sweat drops of blood, and he begged these disciples, this inner group, to come and pray with him. And they did what? They went to sleep. I mean, and Jesus is pouring out his heart to the Father. And he's saying, "If let this cup pass from me. We could spend all morning talking about that, the the model that we see Jesus praying there. But here he gives us in in Luke chapter 18, verse one, he gives us a really kind of unusual parable about prayer. He told them this parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. (laughs) There you go. Sometimes you just need to underline that. Pray and don't lose heart you know pastor I prayed about it well great for how long in other words one of the things this parable is Jesus is using is to say look it's not that you just pray once and you forget look I I realize that we we don't want to be anxious and worry about anything we leave things with him when we take them in prayer as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 don't worry about anything but pray about everything and Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. But here, Jesus is giving us this example that sometimes he requires us to continue to pray without ceasing about things. And Paul said, I pray without ceasing. And so here, he talks about asking us. In chapter 18, he says that we ought to pray and not lose heart. Pray always and not lose heart. What happens when you pray and what you ask for doesn't happen. You don't receive it. Henry Blackaby would always say that when you ask God for something and you don't get an answer, that you hear, that you understand, or that you want, what you do next really does determine what you believe about God. And so Jesus is saying here, not only pray, but pray without losing heart. So verse 2, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. But there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, in other words, Jesus makes it clear. He's not a good, particularly good judge who doesn't really respect the law. He doesn't really fear God. He just did it for himself, all right? He's just one of those judges. Even though he didn't fear God or respect man, verse 5, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continually coming to me. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's a a wonderful passage here where Jesus says, look, you can have the most out-to-lunch judge in the world... But if this widow keeps pestering him just to get her away, he's going to give in to what she's asking. And he's saying, look, if if this out-of-touch judge who doesn't care about anything, even the widow will eventually respond to the widow. You and I need to be persistent in a prayer to a God who loves us and cares for us and hears us. I mean, if this widow will go day and night to a judge who doesn't care for her and doesn't love her and and has no real hope that he's going to be righteous, but she keeps going, why in the world don't we keep going to a God who is righteous, who does love us, and who will hear us? That's the point of that. And he does love us. Look at Psalm 149. The reason we don't pray, many reasons, and we'll get to that another, some more in a minute, but among the reasons we don't pray is we really don't understand how much God loves us. And, so, and we, there are so many passages we could look at together this morning, but we'll just look at this one, Psalm 149, and it's a beautiful psalm. Praise the Lord. Sing the Lord a new song in his presence in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in the king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody him with a tambourine and lyre. Verse 4. You ought to underline this and put it on your bathroom mirror. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. I know you and I don't. There's, it's so hard for us to believe that God takes pleasure in us. Because we know who we are. And we can't imagine why God would take pleasure in us. But over and over and over again in the scripture, we're told he does. So pray steadfastly. As, as the widow continued to, to bat uh, 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 hassle and, and, and batter and, 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 and bug the unjust judge who didn't love her and didn't care for her. Why are we so reluctant to continually pray to a just and wonderful God who adores us and loves us to be in his presence? I would imagine that everything you do in your spiritual life, maybe for some of you in this room this morning, one of the most difficult and challenging things you do is to pray on a consistent, regular basis. It's true in my life. That's why Paul is telling these these believers in this church to steadfastly pray because he knows they're not. Because he understands, as, as, listen, as Don Whitney once said, there's nothing about prayer that appeals to our flesh. You can come to church because gathering with people you like and people you've known for years and you get to see them and share a donut with them and have small talk with them in the hallway and be in the same room with everybody who's got the same worldview pretty much, there's something about that that appeals to our human nature. You can hear good music, good musicians sing and sing on tune and sing songs with good lyrics. There's something about that appeals to our human nature. You can even hear a a public speaker stand behind a platform and and make a a good speech and say it with ways that sort of bring, bring some enthusiasm and excitement and there's something about that that appeals to our human nature. None of that's wrong, it just does. But when you get to the point of we're going to all get together and pray, or you're going to go to your room in your home and pray, there's really nothing about that that appeals to our human nature. The adversary fully understands there's amazing power in prayer. Let me go back now to this idea of God's sovereignty. Why do we pray when yet we can't change God's mind about anything? pray because we're told to pray we pray because in our prayer we become intimate with God and we become closer to him and our eyes are open and we see the reality of of who he is and who we are and we're able to to block out the things of this world that can hinder us and cause us not to desire holiness it causes us to rely upon him and lean upon him and don't there isn't a theologian in the world this side of heaven that can explain exactly how God can be incredibly sovereign and have everything determined but then Jesus gives us this parable that says continue to don't quit because God desires to respond to you. So let's just live in that tension and say it's both and. It's just like the Trinity as I said it's all three in one. It's okay. Paul says, I see through a glass dimly. I don't see everything clearly, but one day when I'm with him, it'll all make sense. One day we're going to understand it all. But let's just live in the reality now that just because I pray and crawl out to Christ and ask him to heal a friend or to protect me or to do these things doesn't mean I don't believe in his sovereignty. Pray steadfastly. And then he says in the very next verse, next sentence rather, after steadfast, he says this, being watchful. So steadfast is faithful in it, continuing like the widow who didn't let up, (laughs) who just kept praying and just kept begging and just kept pleading. And this wicked judge finally heard her. We don't need to worry about a wicked judge. We have a God who loves us and desires to be among us and finds delight in us as his creation. And if we knew how much he truly loved us, we would want to go to him every day, that he hears us every time we pray. Unlike the judge who tried to ignore her, he hears us. So pray steadfastly. And ultimately, you and I both know he does give us what we need. Not always what we want, but what we need. I don't want to be flippant about this. I've said it for years. It just always comes to my mind when I talk about this. If God gave us everything we wanted, I'd be married to Jan Brady. That's just the way it goes. And, you know, when you're 14 years old, you think, you know, God, if you're in heaven, that'd be a night. Nice You know, it's just stupid like that. But, you know, God's smart enough and and, and sovereign enough and great enough not to give us everything we ask for because most of the things we ask for are not eventually going to be helpful to us. He may very well have a reason he wants us to go through financial difficulties. He may have a reason he wants us to endure physical pain. He may have a reason for this disease to come upon us. But that does not preclude that we're not supposed to pray for those who have disease, pray for those who have financial difficulties. Pray steadfastly because he loves us. He cares for us. He hears us and he does respond. We do know this. Look, I know this. There's a lot I don't know and a lot I don't understand. And if you ever go to a church and the pastor knows everything, you're going to the wrong church. You know the one who knows everything, all right? But this side of heaven, I do believe, as Paul said, we see through a glass dimly. But I do know this. As I read God's word from the beginning to the end, when God's people pray, God acts and God moves. Doesn't take away from his sovereignty, but that's how he chooses to to respond. And when God's people don't pray, the opposite happens. Pray steadfastly, continue uh, continue steadfastly in prayer. This is from the same man who says, I pray day and night without ceasing. If anybody understood anything about the sovereignty of God, it was Paul. I mean, he didn't go seeking out Jesus, amen? He was going to Damascus to persecute Christians and who sought him out? Jesus sought him out on the road to Damascus. Jesus spoke to him first. Jesus blinded him. Jesus saved him. Jesus called him. How many times every time Paul writes a letter, he says, I am a servant of Christ, not by choice, but because God put me there. Here's a man who understands more about God's sovereignty than all of us put together, and yet he prays without ceasing, and he tells the churches to continue steadfastly in prayer. Because among other things, prayer makes it clear to us that God can do anything, and we cannot. When you pray, do you, in those times when you pray, do you pray, God, please, I pray for this. And God, if you can't do it, talk to somebody who can God, if you're not able to do it, maybe one of the angels could, or maybe somebody else I don't, of course not. When we pray, we know, we know we're going to the ultimate authority. There's no one higher than that. So prayer puts us in that right relationship. Say, God, we know can do anything. He can move a mountain. He can heal a disease. He can raise the dead. Now, when he chooses to do it and why he chooses to do it, something we fully don't understand this side of heaven, but prayer, when we go to him in prayer, we're not going to him the Lord, I don't know if you can do this or not. We don't. Maybe you need to ask for some help from somebody else. Maybe there's some greater power in the universe. No, when we go to prayer, we know we're going to the ultimate source of everything in the universe. And when we pray, we know that we can not do what we're asking him to do or we'd be doing it. So in that sense, prayer brings us to a right relationship of the absolute holiness and sovereignty and power and strength of Almighty God and reminds us we can't do anything without him. And there's nothing bad that happens to you when you're in that kind of relationship. That is a wonderful place to be. So going into prayer and pouring your heart out to him, pleading with him, steadfastly continue continue don't quit don't stop don't ever let up steadfastly steadfastly in prayer i believe it was matt chandler who says and i love this if you don't get anything else out of the sermon today this is worth probably because it's not mine it came from him this is worth taking home with you what most of us as christians need are not rules but tools The rule is you need to pray all the time. Okay, how do I do that? We need tools to do that. Why don't we pray steadfastly? Why don't don't we pray? Look, by the way, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your heart is changed, especially initially. I mean, there's that initial conversion where 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 you really have been the the, the the holy spirit has opened your eyes and revealed to you your sin and drew you to him drew you to the salvation drew you to the cross and and, and and you repented of your sin and and you understood that Christ saved you and there is that certainly at that point of conversion there is that really sense that something very different has happened to me but we've said on so many occasions here That's that's the moment in which you're justified. You're made righteous, not by your work, but by what Jesus has accomplished. He was good, so you don't have to be. His goodness and his righteousness was, was there so that he bore upon himself the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. And the moment you repent of your sin and you call him as Lord, that righteousness is taken from Jesus and put on you, and you are made justified. You are made righteous. You are made redeemed. But you and I at that moment are not completely sanctified. You don't get up off your knees after confessing Jesus Christ and then all of a sudden memorize you know the Bible by heart. You don't get up off your knees and all of a sudden you know the answer to every theological question. You don't get up off your knees and all of a sudden you just sort of like a robot and you never have a lustful thought or a greedful thought or an angry thought or a prideful thought you don't get up off your knees and say, I've never, I don't want to look at anything other than the Scripture for the rest of my life. I don't want to watch TV. I don't want to look at the Internet. I just want to read the Bible. You may feel that way for an hour, but eventually, eventually, because we are still in a fallen state and still surrounded with spiritual warfare, constantly hammered by Satan, we battle that. And here's the deal, your growth as a Christian, your love of Scripture, your passion for holiness, you've got to be watchful about that. It doesn't just happen. I don't know who first said it, but it's again one of these things you ought to take home with you today. You don't drift into holiness. You drift away from it. And so if you're not watchful in your prayer, watchful in your reading of your scripture, watchful in your church attendance, watchful in your language, watchful. It's not that the, again, I'm not going back to saying that we're legalistic and we have to do these things in order for God to love us. Not at all. He loves us even when we're not watchful. If we're his redeemed children, he loves us. But you're not happy. You're not content. Things don't make sense. Life isn't joyful. You may be momentarily distracted in a way that you feel some fun once in a while, but it doesn't last. And in order for us to be steadfast in our prayer, Paul says you have to be watchful. That simply means be intentional. It won't happen if you don't make it happen. And there are two or three ways we can be intentional or watchful. Let's say intentional. Tools about prayer. I've given you one many times. Take a hymnal. They still make them. They're not out of print. They're not illegal in the United States. You can still find a hymnal somewhere. Take a hymnal. Preferably a Baptist one. Take a hymnal. And, and go through some of those hymns. And, and seriously, well, first of all, set some time to pray. Now, I know there are some of you who are mourning people. And that's not me. It never has been, never will be. My creative mind gets going about 11 o'clock at night. It just does. Just one of those things. Some of you are morning people. But you need to set time every day for prayer. You know how many times I don't do that? And so at some point in the day, usually near the end of the day, I'll spend a few minutes and generally one of the first things I pray is, Lord, I know I need to be spend more time with you. Don't raise your hand. But has anybody ever prayed that prayer? Why in the world don't we spend more time with him? Who determines whether we do that or not? It's us. Actually, the adversary is the one that keeps you from doing it. By the way... One, well, we don't pray. We don't pray steadfastly because I, I, I really believe at times we don't really know how desperately we need to. I, I have a son who's in the Air Force Reserves. Many of you have children who are in military, and when he was deployed to to Turkey, which was, he was right on the border with Syria. Uh, I mean, he was relatively safe compared to what some other uh, service people where they serve. But he's still my son. He's still the father of my grandchildren and the husband of my daughter-in-law. And he's still, you know, within a few miles of the Syrian border. And so how do you think I prayed for him every day when he was over there compared to how I pray for him every day when he works downtown Kansas City? What's the, what's, the, what's the difference? Well, the difference is over there, I sense, you know, he's, there's really danger over there, right? And there is. I'm not suggesting there isn't. But, but you and I realize, don't we? If we don't, we're going to remember it right now, that there was this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful angel in heaven named Lucifer. And he was very jealous of God's glory. And he, again, don't, you're not going to figure this out, this side of heaven. It's like those other things we talked about. Listen, would you want to have a faith that was written by man that so you could figure it all out? What would be great about that? I mean, I, I want a faith that goes, I don't know. There's some of this stuff until I get to heaven. I'm not going to be able to understand. So I don't really understand, but it happened the most beautiful angel rebelled against God. And he was able to convince a third of the angels to go with him. And we don't know how many a third of that is, but Jesus could have called legions upon legions upon legions of angels when he was about to be crucified, thousands upon thousands. You've heard me say this on many occasions. That here on this earth, every day, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Now, just as I will be very passionate and very focused and find time to pray for my son when he is deployed to a country where he is in real danger, why do I not feel that passionate to pray for my wife and my children and my grandchildren when there are enemies around them all the time? Real ones. Demonic ones. Spiritual warfare is real. And as John Piper says, prayer is wartime communication. If I could find the same urgency to pray for my children when they're not in harm's way so to speak, as I do when they are in harm's way, I begin to understand what Paul is saying when he says, pray steadfastly, continually, because this doesn't end until we're in heaven. If you got a call today from a loved one that said you had a loved one in a car accident and their life was hanging by a a thread, you would no doubt call everyone you knew, email everyone you knew, and you'd say, what? Pray for them. And that's fine, and we should. But do, do we realize that Daily, we need to be that passionate about prayer because all around us, all kinds of things are taking place that can be very damaging to our family and damaging to our lives and damaging to our, our Christian walk. And we need to be praying God's protection upon us for those things. And look, again, I, I want to take an, an tremendous amount of time. I, I, want to, I want to be cognizant of your time. But this is... This is what I'm telling you. You don't think I'm just making this up and just sort of rambling, although I am just kind of rambling. Someday you'll have a real preacher who has notes and all that, and you'll realize how great he he really is for that. But here, look at Luke. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke 22. (laughs) This is exactly what I'm talking about. Luke 22, chapter Twenty-two, Verse 31, Jesus is talking to Peter. In Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says this. Simon, Simon. Now, when Jesus uses your name twice, you pay attention, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, seriously. This is big stuff, Peter. Peter. Hey, Pete, Peter. Look. Simon, Simon. You could have heard a pin drop. Satan has demanded to have you. Look, we're not just playing church here, all right? This isn't just a little thing we come to and, you know, hey, we're this church, down the street's the next church, and we can just gather and have some donuts and sing some songs and feel good about each other and go home. Jesus is pulling back the curtain of heaven here, and he's showing Peter, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan. Satan. Lucifer, the most powerful of all of the angels, who has with him tens of thousands of other angels right here on earth. One day, Lucifer and Satan, Lucifer and his angels will be thrown into hell. Hell was not created for you. Hell was created for Lucifer and his angels, and that's where they'll be someday. But for those who are without Christ and their sins have not been forgiven, they will join him in hell. But for reasons, again, don't fully comprehend at this time, he is, not in, he is not confined there now. He is on this earth. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you. Now, again, I, there's some great theology here. In other words, even Satan knows that he can't do God. There was no real war in heaven Satan just got kicked out. Okay, it was just, that's the war. You're done. And even Satan understands God's sovereignty. But he demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, what Satan said to Jesus was, that one. I want to have him. I just want to shake him to the core. And look at Jesus' response. but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now look, I don't understand everything about prayer, but I know this. If Jesus is going to pray for Peter, I need to pray for my kids. I need to pray for my wife. I need to pray for my church because Satan desires to shake him to the core. And... The answer that Jesus gave was, it's going to be all right, Peter, because I've prayed for you. Prayer is wartime communication, and the adversary knows it. And that's why you don't find time to pray, because he doesn't want you praying, because he understands the power that is there in prayer. Be watchful. That means you have to Be intentional about it. As I said, when you're born again, you don't immediately know the whole Bible from beginning to end. You don't know all the theology. You don't know all that. You grow in that. And you grow in that as you're intentional about making time to do that and spending time doing that. And yes, this side of heaven, it's a struggle because we still live in our flesh and we still love the things of the flesh. But the more we spend time with him, the more we spend time in his word, the more we commit and dedicate ourselves to prayer the more we want to do those things the less we do them the less we want to do them so be watchful be intentional have tools more than rules for your prayer life a rule is i need to pray a tool is when am i going to pray how am i going to pray and i think i just got off topic topic totally here but my point is when you have a tool you you set time to pray the reason you don't pray is you, set, you don't set time to pray. As I said, sometimes I'll say, oh, I need to be praying more. Well, then why aren't I? Because I'm not setting time to pray more. And look, I know when you have kids at home and you work, some of you more than one job, that's a very challenging thing to do. But you can still do it. And you don't have to set two hours every day or or an hour every day. Sometimes it's best to set blocks of time. I'm going to take 10 minutes here and 15 minutes here and five minutes here and set those out and spend those times. First of all, just thinking about the fact that Jesus, first of all, think about the fact that God truly loves you. He delights in you. He's grateful you came to him at that moment. How many of us want to... I mean, if you knew the God of the universe was like, man, I love it when you show up, why wouldn't we want to show up? And then spend time with him. As I said, take that Baptist hymnal and, and just, for, just just to, to, as a start, just just read a few lines of a, of a hymn and then just say, God, I thank you. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And then just stop right there and say, I just can't, I can't say it any better than that. I'm so grateful that I have the assurance in a world where everything is uncertain that Jesus is mine. And it's just a little foretaste of what holds for me in heaven. Our sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. I just leave every care with him. And then just thank God for that. And I promise you, if you'll just take some time and begin to maybe just take a hymnal and pray through some hymns, you'll find yourself really spending some time in prayer. Pray through the scripture, as we've said before. Take a psalm and pray through the psalm. And, and, And people have said you can even pray, you know, you can begin by praying for yourself and your desire for holiness and then pray for your family by name and pray for your friends and and before long, if you have a pattern of doing that, you'll find that the time in prayer will fill up and you'll find you'll be looking forward to the opportunity to go and spend time in prayer. But when he says be steadfast in it, he means be consistent in it. Don't quit because it, the, the battle we're in never stops. And when he says be watchful in it, he means you gotta be intentional about it. You're not gonna drift toward a prayer life, All right. It's not going to happen. I mean, you may decide, I think I'd like to go to that great bluegrass concert. I like bluegrass music, and you might even say something about Jesus while we're there. Let's all go. But you're probably not going to say, man, I can't wait to go to that all-night prayer meeting. You're not going to drift toward that. So that's that's what he's talking about. So just this one little verse. There is no little verse. Just this one great sentence that Paul writes, to be steadfast. Yes, God is sovereign, and we don't ever question that. And no, I'm not going to change God's plans. But that doesn't mean he's not telling me and commanding me to pray and to let him know what my needs are, what my hurts are, to pray for those who are sick among us as Peter and John were to the temple to pray, as Jesus prayed for Peter, as he prayed in the garden. For goodness sakes, just pray. It tells you who God is and who you are. It sanctifies you. It edifies you. It gives you this wonderful sense of worship. It puts your life in the right perspective. It opens your eyes. It does nothing bad to you. Pray steadfastly and watchfully with intentionality because if you don't, you'll drift away from it. Set time to pray. And when you set time to pray, know what you're going to pray. Have a Bible there. Have a hymnal there. Have a list there. Know how you're going to pray. And even keep a prayer journal of what you're praying for and how you see God working in your life. Because prayer, I mean... I'll say this one more time. We live in a world that all we see is this world, this reality that we live in right now. I can't can't do anything about what happened five minutes ago. I'd like to go back and start this sermon over again so that it would make some more sense than it does. I can't do anything about what's going to happen when I get home. All I've got is this immediate moment right here and right now. That's all you've got too. But when we pray, We literally punch through time and space. And we literally reach the eternal throne of God in heaven. Your stinking little voice. And just as the unjust judge heard the widow, the loving God who desires your presence is joyful to hear you come to him. And when you do, you punch through time and you punch through eternity and you come to the very throne of God and you move really from this realm to the realm of heaven and you speak directly to heaven. And why in the world would we not want to do that? Because the adversary doesn't want us to do it and we're involved in spiritual warfare and he knows if we don't pray we'll be more inclined to sin we'll be more inclined to be bitter and cantankerous we'll be less inclined to be holy we'll be less inclined to be joyful we'll be less inclined to be evangelistic we'll be less inclined to be generous he knows that and that's why paul says pray steadfastly and watch for